0: what's up what's up uh eddie moore jr here and i'm on the chopping block at visceralchange.org listen what we do i don't have
1: anything to say no i'm nervous yeah that's your easy listening station right now you're listening
0: to the chopping block you're listening to the chopping block
1: you're listening to the chopping block (laughs) on the visceral change podcast what's up y'all we back Another episode, a special episode, if I may say so myself. I'm here with the dawn, the man, the myth, the legend, the present, the past, the future, you name it. The honorable good brother, Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., founder and president, director, executive, you name it, of America and More, the Privilege Institute, the White Privilege Conference. I mean, do I need to keep going? A published <laughs> author, what more do you need? Brother Eddie, man, what's going on? How are you today?
0: Uh, Brother Shirai, man, congratulations, my brother. It's so good to see you, man. And, you know, this this COVID has, um, I mean, it's actually been a blessing in disguise in some ways. uh, But it's also been tough in other ways, uh, just because you don't get any face-to-face, you know, real-life interaction. And even if I saw you, I don't even feel like it's the time to... Give you the proper hug. You, you see your family, <laughs> see your friends, and you can't even greet them. So and embrace, um, man. Yeah, yeah. So all of that, though, to say, man, um, COVID has really got me and my family appreciating the little things, man. Yes. Yeah. And so um, I'm blessed. I'm too blessed for stress. No doubt. It's great to see you, and I'm I'm just happy to be able to be a part of what you're doing, bro.
1: I appreciate you, man. I'm glad that you're here. Honestly, man. You're a mentor of mine, someone I cite regularly uh, every time I'm doing a, a presentation and I get to my little white privilege section. I, I cite Peggy McIntosh and then I plug the WPC every time you can ask anybody who's been in a VC workshop, they'll tell you, who is this guy anymore? Junie talks about, man. Well, <laughs> this is him, ladies and gentlemen. This is the man, the myth. I had to throw on a suit for my guy today. You know, I come ready, make sure everything's set. Uh, Brother Eddie, let's jump right into it, man. Um, we got some time together, and so I don't want to waste it. I want it to be nice and valuable. Um, look, man, you're internationally known. There's no secret about that, and for good reason. I mean, the work you do is challenging, and it's necessary. Uh, but people know you now, man. Coming up, I'm sure that journey wasn't all green. I'm sure the grass was a little muddy at times, a little brown, projects, man, somewhere in Florida, right, down south. Uh, I know you've been through it, so why don't you tell us the first time you realized that you could be more, see how I did that? You realized you could be more than your environment was telling you.
0: Yeah, man, it's it's just so uh, amazing that you asked me that because I was just recording a video for an acceptance speech for an alumni award I just received from my Uh, undergrad uh, Cornell College in Iowa. And I was reminiscing because that's really where it all started for me, man. I grew up, yeah, uh, difficult situations in Florida, small town there. Uh, And basically, I mean, long story short, I had three older brothers. They all went to prison. They were just doing some things that were not healthy. I had an older sister and my mom was really trying to uh, keep my sister and I on the straight and narrow. And I was the baby, of course, and so, I think she had a little extra protective gear around me. No doubt. Uh, particularly as a, a, a son, and losing three of her sons, you know, pretty much to the criminal justice system. Right. She just wanted to, you know, make sure her baby stayed on track. And so, um, uh, uh, I mean, she didn't protect me from it all, because, like any young boy, I wanted to be like my older brothers. and. And as I said, they weren't necessarily doing all the right things. Mm-hmm. And um, so I started to stray off a little bit. My mom, you know, she did all she could to fight and battle. And I think, you know, I say all of that because I think um, really when I was going to college, I didn't really, you know, think about, I mean, I'm sorry, when I was going to high school, I wasn't really even thinking about going to college. I, I mean, I knew about going to college. And I think the thing that my mom and my coach, my high school coach really drilled in my head is I had a chance to, you know, play college football. So I right. think they used that as a way to inspire me and it worked, man. I I didn't know anything about division three, division two, you know, I, you know, scholarship, all of that. Right. Uh, right. I mean, I had a sense that, you know, there were some elite kind of athletes that played on TV and all of that. And I wasn't right. there, but I was definitely capable of playing somewhere. Sure. And so that's how I ended up in this small college, man. And, and all of that is really important because when I got to college, because of some of the stuff I was doing in my neighborhood with my friends, with my older brothers, I was already introduced to like drugs, drinking and, and, and drugging. That's right. You know? So most college students, I think they get to college and they sample, you yep. know, they experience. Yep. I like to say to people, I got to college and I was already a semi-pro. I had already, already, you know, done some work in that area. And what happened is really in college, I became a full-fledged alcoholic and drug addict. Mm. And uh, for four years, really, bro, the only thing that saved my life, I think, was I played football, baseball, basketball for four years. Mm -hmm. And so because I was participating in athletics and had to train and had to compete, I couldn't necessarily party all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, this real addiction piece is so important because it's still a big part of my life today. Yeah, And that's, you know, re- really when people ask me, you know, about that muddy water, about that muddy grass you're talking about, I tell people, you're looking at a crackhead with a PhD. Wow. Uh, because when I graduated college, I mean, I have to think, Uh, My almighty, man, for me, because for me, bruh, to make it four years and get a degree based on the behaviors I was participating in. Right. I mean, it shows you mentioned it. I mean, something far greater than me was a part of that process. Sure. But it wasn't really until I got back home. I got back with the same friends and the same environment my mama tried to get me away from. And my addiction spiraled downward. I got myself, and I was, the difficulty was, is I was a functioning drug and alcoholic. You know, sure. I was in good shape, I I had a job, I had a college degree, so I was presenting really, you know, you know, on the outside positively, but on the inside, bro, I was toe up,
1: man, right. toe
0: up. And, I mean, really, it all kind of crashed. All of that, all of that accumulation of all I've been saying really came to a head when I took a job at Big Brothers Big Sisters, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. Um, I was basically stealing from the organization to feel my drug, my crack cocaine habit. Got it. And the two women who were over me, one of them in particular, said to me, you can either get clean, you can go to rehab, or you can go to jail. And that was really, bro, that was really one of the first real pivotal moments in my life sure. that gave me a second chance. Now, keep in mind, bro, while I'm in all of this addiction, this downward spiral, my mama is there fighting for her baby. Still fighting, man. She never... That, that, of course. Man, I love... I mean, I mean, I just say to people all the time when their kids are, you know, dealing with some of these struggles, never give up. Always show them you're in their corner. Mm. And my mama, man... And, bruh, I gave her plenty reasons to turn her back. Sure. And through the good, the bad, in the crack, my mama had my back. So.
1: Oh, man.
0: And so um, wow. when that piece hit, you know, I got a chance to get clean and sober, which I had never really experienced. I knew nothing about sobriety you know what i'm saying of course i thought you went to church (laughs) that's how you carry your life around right (laughs) black folks don't go to rehab we go to church right right this this is what was in my mind and i still remember bro i was sitting in my first kind of outpatient rehab um uh, situation and uh was about eight or ten of us and uh connie and Bert were my my counselors i'll never forget them connie says to the group everybody introduce yourself You know, we all go around, my name is Eddie, I'm an alcoholic, all that kind of thing, right? Everybody goes around, uh, gets back to Connie. Connie says, I want to congratulate y'all on deciding to never drink and drug the rest of your life. And I, I mean, I literally, you know, kind of raised my hand thinking, wait a minute, I think I'm in the wrong program, right? (laughs) Right, I didn't come here.
1: Right, that's not what I told (laughs) you.
0: Right, I'm I'm, I'm 20 something years old, I'm not going to stop forever. How am I going to live? And not party. Right. How am I going to celebrate? Right. How am I going to deal with it? I mean, in my mind, I never thought you could live your life without drugs and alcohol. Right. And again, I'm not saying for those, because folks can drink, folks can, you know, have a couple of drinks, you know, maybe smoke a, you know, something. I mean, some folks have the temperament to do that. That's right. That wasn't me. Okay. Right. I can't just have two drinks at the bar and go home. Right. Uh, so um, I didn't think that I could live my life really, bro, without drinking and drugging. But it was Connie and Bert really being that second opportunity for me to really understand what it took to live a clean and sober life. And it's been 27 years now, bro. Wow. So um, I've been at it in reference to my sobriety. Yeah, man, I'm really blessed. Shout out. And I was really fortunate to get started early. Yeah. Now, again, this is really, again, this is, um, you know, so important to the story when you ask about, you know, when I really thought, when I really began to see, when I really imagined myself far beyond what right. I saw growing up. Right. And I say to people all the time about my undergrad school, my college where I got my uh, um, bachelor's degree, in political science, there were some folks there that should have kicked me out of college, mm. okay? Uh, uh, i was doing some stuff there that i shouldn't have been doing sure second chance i got the big brothers big sisters like i said man they should have they should have put me in jail for what i was doing they could have second chance right man wow. my mama yes. bro my mama right man i don't even know how many chances she gave me yeah yeah yeah
1: yeah i'm yeah, mad yeah. Out of
0: numbers, man but i uh, just all those opportunities and really once i hit that sobriety stride though once i realized I needed to live my life clean and sober, and I can do that one day at a time, Yep. right? Once I hit that stride, I took a job as a high school teacher and a football coach at a little school back in my hometown area, Yep. all right? I wanted to do, once I got clean and sober, what my coach did for me to give me an opportunity to go to college. I wanted to do that for some young black males at the school where I was teaching and working, right? Uh, So I take them to Iowa. We raise some money. I take them to Iowa. They get a chance to visit some colleges. And one of the colleges we were visiting, the football coach there always had a black male on his staff. Okay. So while my students were looking around the college, I was just there talking football with the coach. He literally offered me a job on the spot. Oh, wow. And I was going to be able to come there, get my master's degree for free. Yep. And I was going to also um, uh, be a grad assistant football coach. Yes. I went back home. I resigned my position at the end of the year. And I came back to Iowa to this little small college called Loris College, Dubuque, Iowa, where I began on my master's degree in education. And also as a grad assistant football coach in my first class of my master's degree, I met this white brother by the name of Tom Detterman.
1: Okay.
0: We hit it off right away. Tom was a diver- diverse, he was a diversity guy for the school district. Talked to me about, Hey, you know, I need somebody to come with me, talk to kids. I mean, that's basically how I got started, you know, kind of public speaking in the school classroom area. Yep. And Tom really taught me a lot. And, um, um, after a couple of years, I realized I didn't really want to you know, spend my life as a football coach. In fact, I met a college professor there in my master's degree program who said to me, you're wasting your talent on X's and O's. You can do more as a college professor than you can as a wow. college football coach. Interesting. So the combination of this guy, Tom Detterman, and uh, the college professor, Opportunities to speak a little bit in schools with Tom, college professor, saying you should go on to your Ph.D. This is when I begin. That's when it all began to come together, bro. Right there, right there. That's when it all began to come together for me, and I begin to do what Malcolm Gladwell talked about Mm -hmm. and putting in my 10,000 hours as a public speaker, as a um, Ph.D. candidate. I begin to consume the knowledge and get on the track get on the path and that's when it all began so i graduated my master's degree went to my phd at the university of iowa uh, got through the coursework of my university of iowa experience my undergrad college cornell college asked me to apply for a job as the director of diversity i got that job my first program because of one of the first classes i took on my phd program was this young Professor by the name of Michelle Young, who said to us in that PhD program, you're not doing diversity work if you're not factoring in issues of white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. Because of her statement, I began to do all my research with that foundation. I did my PhD research on black mm-hmm. football players. I finished my coursework. Cornell called me. I applied for the job, and my first program was the White Privilege Conference. Wow. In nineteen ninety-nine. And wow. I really wanted to just bring people to talk about what Michelle Young had told us about, right. which is how do you do diversity work beyond kumbaya? Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: yeah. And of do course.
0: white supremacy work along with that, white privilege work along with that. Right. I didn't feel like there was an arena for us to explore high levels of diversity conversations beyond kumbaya. Yeah.
1: Yep. Yep. Yep, and yep. On
0: top of that, bruh lastly i'll say this for those of us who do diversity work especially white people mm-hmm. they should be going to a place to do their work sure yes i say to people all the time if you hire me as a consultant if you have hire visceral change you should be asking them what's the last professional development you've done to allow you to get better <laughs> what's helping <laughs> you what's challenging you to expand okay and so that's really, you know, some of what I was trying to create in the White yeah. Privilege Conference environment. Yep. And so <clears throat> that's, I mean, bro, that's, that's kind of how I really began. I mean, I think okay. it was about, about six, seven years ago, maybe eight years ago, where I realized this is my destiny.
1: Wow. Like, okay. This is
0: what I've been called to do.
1: That's right. That's right. That's right.
0: Uh, Keep in mind, bro, before all of that, I always had jobs in addition to doing my diversity work. Sure. Yes. So um, I always believed that my work would be for an institution in an institution. Mm -hmm. And it was only eight years ago when I realized I think I've been called to something far greater than Signing the back of
1: the chat <clears> Hey, <throat> it's it's funny you say that, man. You 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 shared a ton. First off, thank you for all that information. That's that that was just beautifully said and it's powerful, you know what I mean, it's super profound. And it's nice to see, you know, what went into the man who's in front of us today. And you talk about, you know, how eight years ago you came to that realization. And I find myself there now as well. You know, I since visceral change really began to take off and since doing this work, I was like, this is this is where I need to be, not just want to be, but this is where I need to be, because you find out in higher ed, there's a lot of red tape, a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of um, you know uh, discussions that don't involve you, but are about you at the same time that you should be at the center of. Uh, and so there's a lot of competing interests that I say to myself, I can help resolve this tomorrow. Not in this capacity, but maybe in this capacity here in V.C. So that was great, man. And I, I actually had a question about how you wound up in Iowa, which you answered. So I'm, I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I don't know if you've necessarily answered how you wound up at, at Cornell College, though. So uh, you, how'd you wind up there from Florida?
0: Yeah, my high school basketball coach who went to Cornell
1: uh-huh.
0: was from Iowa Oh, is really that connection that my mom had. And they together said, you know, we got to get him as far away from home as possible.
1: Got it. Okay.
0: So that's how I ended up in Mount Vernon, (laughs) Iowa, (laughs) three college. So it was really their goal, I think, brother, just kind of get me away from the environment that I grew up in. And that's really how I got there.
1: So I almost feel like witness protection <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> at that point. <laughs> so, to some extent, that's exactly
0: what it was, man. That's and right. It really, it really, I mean, Cornell helped me to begin to think about myself and see myself far beyond than what I imagined myself. Yes. And so I think that's what college offers a lot of young people. But for me especially, I just I just really got to see some things, be a part of some things. Yep. And I never imagined and I think that sparked so many other things that, you know, all eventually came together, yeah.
1: That's right, and uh, I'm gonna to wanna to dig into that a little bit more too as we get on. I wanna change the tone just a little bit. Uh, you've been doing this work for a long time as evidenced by what you just shared over 20 years, you know, hardcore into diversity and inclusion specific, you know, with the, with the center on whiteness, which we can all appreciate. Uh, and here I am decades later, man, I find myself doing the same thing, focusing right on it. Uh, brother Brother Eddie, do you think, man, that, I guess maybe the better question is why Why do we, right? And why do you think we as black men feel that we have a need to engage this work? I mean, it, it, why do you think we find ourselves here time and time again?
0: Yeah, well, I, I, I feel like, you know, for every, like, man, that story may be different. Mm -hmm. I can't wait to hear yours. I know for me, (laughs) I feel like, um, and more and more in this time, really, that every community, every organization, every moment needs someone that is pushing, challenging, informing, providing a kind of space and place that's not always welcome, but always needed. Yes. So I feel like, uh, um, I mean, often the folks who've been able to experience some of the struggle associated with life in general, and 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 especially if it's institutional, because of some of that experience can always be beneficial in these times. And I think that's that's what we find. I I have mixed emotions about this, man. You as a brand new father, I mean, I'm I'm hoping you can relate to this, like. You know, and I have a I have a nine year old right now, right? Do I want right. him on the path of social justice? I go back and forth, right? Or do I just want him to, you know, ride his bike?
1: Right, 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 or just right. Play
0: baseball.
1: Just eat dinner, as we say sometimes, <laughs> right?
0: Man, you yep. know, so <clears throat> so I feel a real um uh, you know kind of um mixed emotions about that, and I feel like my life I grew up always feeling I wanted to do something, give back in some way. Sure. I do feel like that's a part of my wiring from my mama. That's right. But right now, as a father, particularly of a young son and a young daughter,
1: mm-hmm.
0: I'm wondering, uh, how do I just let them be kids? Yes. yes. And they decide if this is the work they want to do, where I feel like early on, because of things happening around me, that's right. I, I decided real early that I wanted to be a part of you know, making sure this didn't happen to a lot of other people in the way that I experienced in the way that I saw it.
1: That's right. Yeah, that, I I can agree with that. And it's one of those negotiations we deal with and when we look around us. I mean, <clears throat> one of the best pieces of advice I've gotten, and I say this often. Um, so if you're watching, you heard me say this in another interview, I apologize. But uh, talking about how to, you know, help with diversity at, and institutions or organizations. And one of the best piece of, pieces of advice I got was, in order to bring the diversity, sometimes you have to be the diversity. And so we have to find ourselves in the seat in these discussions in order to bring it, otherwise people aren't thinking about these identities that we're thinking about. But why do I feel like I have to be in that discussion in order to make it happen? Why can't we just have a culture that celebrates this in a different way? And so I, I can resonate with a lot of what you're saying. I, uh, I want to go back to the main. Eddie Moore Jr. Not the, not the myth, but the man, you know. Uh, and, you know, you talk about with, with such passion your four years at, at Cornell and you talk about your relationship with your mom and the closeness um, and the brotherhood you were able to form on the field and you were a three-sport athlete, baseball, basketball, the whole nine. <clears throat> I'd like to know, as you approach your work, right, there's always remnants of those who came before us how has what your mom instilled in you shaped the man that you are today and how important is it to pay it forward to our families and friends and and mentors who came before us
0: yeah yeah man it's you know the way i mean really in the last 10 years i've been talking about my mom in a different way mm-hmm. No, uh, I lost my mother in 96 she okay. was able to see me graduate my master's degree, but not my PhD. Mm-hmm. But the way I talk about it is, you know, I didn't like my mama growing up a whole mm-hmm. lot because she was on my butt, bro. Mm.
1: You
0: know, I was the baby. I was somewhat of a mama's boy, but also, you know, she didn't, you know, she, I think she just wanted to see me be better. And my older yeah. brothers were in reference to the trouble and all that kind of stuff. That's right. And so, um, I think it's really been in that last decade, you know, this last decade plus, that I've been really remembering all the positives that I thought was her just being hard on me, mm. you know. And um, so I think there's a, a level of don't under this, don't let this suit fool you. That's right. right. You know, there's a there's a level of you know, yeah, I, you know I am a genuinely nice person. Course. But I'm, you know, I was born at night, but I wasn't born last night. <laughs> and I think that's what I used to see in my mom, like always nice. But if they rolled up on that house the wrong way, yep. she she didn't play. <laughs> so that's number one, right? Yep. Always just being gracious and open and loving. That's right. It's something my mom modeled for me and I think instilled in me. And uh, But, you know, not to let people roll over you. That's right. Uh, Always working hard. Like, I can't imagine a life with one job. Mm -hmm. That makes no sense. Mm -hmm. Just having one job. You got one job that just doesn't doesn't compute for me i gotta be doing something else i'm like that too i gotta have a hustle on the side that's just the way she was man she worked at the hospital and then she cleaned and folded somebody's clothes just to earn some extra. i mean she just always did extra stuff to Mm -hmm. get some extra hustle money going on that's right and that she instilled in me as well and she was a god-fearing i mean a faithful person um and Um, I really always appreciated appreciated that about her, although I didn't like it all the time, her making us go to church, Mm -hmm. making us be in the Easter play and the Easter service. But, you know, I still value that today, man, because I think that helped me with my public speaking skills. Sure. My visibility to memorize things. Sure. I mean, all of that came from my mom's forced participation. And so, uh, so much, man, so much I look back on. And I think about who I am today, what I am today, where I'm going today, um, and how much I owe that to my mama, man. And 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 um, and 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 it's just the way I want to be. I want people. And and I get some flack about this sometimes that people feel like I'm not mean enough. You know, I just let people somewhat take advantage of me and the conference mm. by coming there and making their money and not really giving back. You know, and I just, you know, I don't, I just don't roll like that way. I can't right. be vengeful in spirit. Right. Sure. I can't do that. Sure. It's just not in me. Right. I mean, if you're on my bad side, you've done some real ass <laughs> stuff. Right. Right. And I always believe it'll come back. Right. It'll come back. Sure. So I'm always trying to say, what can I do, bro? How can we partner? Sis, how can I help out? Hey, 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 y'all. What, what What's going on? What do y'all need? Because I feel like that spirit of collaboration, right. that openness, that partnership is something that is really the foundation of success around this kind of work. That's right. That together, we're stronger. That's right. And so, I want to always have my platform, my organization, uh, any kind of programmatic thing that I'm involved with, have a spirit of cooperation and collaboration, paying it forward, like you said. Yes. And I just got it, bruh, I just got an email a day or so ago from someone, I, I don't even know the person, right? I met mm-hmm. them at something, they came to a, something and and the person just said, I wanted you to just know the fruits of your labor, mm. a seed that has blossomed. Yes. Because of our interaction with each other. And that's, to me, that's what the work is all about. right? That's there,
1: huge, bro. that's huge. That's
0: what it's all about. That's and, absolutely um, huge. Uh, in the words of Kendrick Lamar, you know, I'm fortunate. I mean, I, you know, I can make a little revenue doing this work. I'm going to be all right in that way. Sure. And maybe if I was a bit of a jerk, I could be a little bit more, have a little bit more. Yep. Because I'd be just bringing it in for myself. Yep. Uh, but I just I just can't be wired that way, yep. mainly because of my mom.
1: That's right. That's, And that's probably the best testament. I know you said she, she left us in 96, but that's probably the best testament to her best compliment she'd want to hear is, you know, I've always believed the value of a parent is different and it goes a long way. But one thing we try to do is instill that inherent sense of good and bad, right and wrong in our kids, um, who can make valuable decisions in their own life moving forward. And it's clear that <clears throat> you've been able to overcome such hardship to become the man you are. And I, I have to imagine mom Dukes is giving that salute from way up, you know, showing that love for sure. Uh, you started to talk a little bit about how you take this into your work. So I want I wanted to pivot in that direction real quick. Um, I want to talk about America and more. Establish 96, as I understand it. Uh, you know, EST 96. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and you establish it, as I understand, as a way to provide training resources really to K-12 K- schools, colleges, companies, universities, you name it giving them something that they can use to really begin tackling this work from a real critical perspective. We fast forward to today, as we mentioned at the top, we got the Privilege Institute, we got the White Privilege Conference, you know, as extensions of this dream that you had back in 96. Uh, Not that there's many people who don't know, but for those who don't know, talk a little bit about what these institutes and conferences are and really what you hope to accomplish with them.
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so America Moore is really my platform for EddieMooreJr. You know, my okay. public speaking, all of that. And keep in mind, bro. You know, when you're established in '96, unapologetically black. <laughs> I'm gonna just let that soak in with the audience. <laughs> it's just now that I've really been able to get anything of longevity. In reference to contracts with people. Most people, I was the one shot Black History Month event, mm. or MLK event. That when you're unapologetically black talking about white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression in 96, right. people right. didn't want you around the organization. That's long. right. I'm not just talking about white folks.
1: <laughs> I can see that. I'm laughing because of how yeah. real that is as I think about it.
0: So, um, uh, EddieMooreJr.com has, you know, over the years, stuck with it, I mean, and, and I've just been fortunate to have a kind of wiring, like I said, related to my mom, where I just, you know, I would go to the school, work six, seven hours uh, a day in reference to a school period, speaking in different classrooms, and that's how I got my that 10,000 hours in, and I'm really actually thankful for the kind of platform that I came up on, bro, because uh, I, I had to grind to get here. Mm-hmm. Ain't nobody gave, nobody give, ain't nobody hand out Nathan. Right. 10,000 hours. I had to put it in. So America and More is my story of the grind. And um, the White Privilege Conference, those two are somewhat connected just because it's an extension of me and my real vision to create a kind of space and place where that unapologetically Black, Afrocentric framework right foundation can be a part of the learning and the uh real guiding principle is handshake the handshake hug the hug or as we refer to it the relationship model i can't tell you but a number of people are so shocked that the white privilege conference is black owned
1: mm, i, I black, can imagine
0: black black founded black genius black excellence founded yep. and black genius black ex- excellence ran organization
1: that's right that's right okay
0: and even though white privilege is the title what I like to remind people is afrocentric is the foundation of the knowledge of the learning it's not how do we take care and, and 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 help white people understand white privilege it's really how do we take care of ourselves how do we stay whole how do we heal how do we be in community as people of color surviving white supremacy, anti-blackness, structures, systems, and sometimes, and many times, individuals. And so that's the intent of my framework and all the workshops that we're designing and everybody who's coming to be a part of those workshops. So those two, the conference in American More are connected in that way because of that Afrocentric, unapologetically black framework but the conference is really now taking on an identity of its own Mm. after 20 something years. And really what we're trying to do now, bringing thousands of people every year to really explore issues of supremacy, privilege, other forms of oppression, comprehensively. And then Privilege Institute, keep in mind now, also for 16, 17 years of the 20 something years of life, the White Privilege Conference has been in partnership with an organization. We've been basically under the umbrella of another institution. Mm. And uh, after 15, 16 years, uh, I felt and, 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 and felt with some others that we were now ready to be an entity of our own. That's right. And that's where the Privilege Institute comes in. It's our yes. 501c3. Mm-hmm. It's our umbrella organization that allows us to do what we do without any kind of interruption from some institutional philosophy or mission vision that we may be in conflict with.
1: That's right. That's right. Um, let's shift gears. It's a little bit more. And I want to talk slightly about your books, man. They're out there. Um, so you can go ahead and go one by one, or you can tell me about them, these two in particular ones uh, together. My question really is, uh, why did you feel to write these narratives? So for the folks who have it, we got the guide for white women who teach black boys. And then we got the diversity cookbook, my gosh. I was in that presentation when he was sharing it to the world for the first go. Uh, him and the good Reverend, uh, yeah. a lot of good folks up there. And so I just wanna know, man, why these particular books? why did you feel it was important to share these stories?
0: Yeah, so the book design that I've always been a part of is similar to my workshop, my conference design collaboration. Okay. Uh, really giving some folks who've never been published an opportunity to publish, but also a chance to work with folks who I've been working with that we've never been able to, you know, publish something together. So the first real book we did was Everyday White People, okay. which was about white people living, doing good social justice work for 30, 40 years or more. Like most people know Peggy McIntosh, mm-hmm. but they don't know how Peggy McIntosh came to uh, the a famous article, Unpacking the Invisible Knapsack. That's right. So in Everyday White People, she shares that story. Okay. Most okay. people know Jim Lowen. Yep. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Lies My Teacher Told Me, mm-hmm. Sundown Towns. I mean, one of the most published sociologists in the world. That's right. A lot of people don't know how Jim Lowen came to be Jim Lowen. Right. So this book captures the story of all those white folks who've been doing the work 30-plus years or more and how they got there to be an inspiration to white people so that they cannot always be turning the people of color as the models for their social justice work. Yes. Okay. And then there came um, uh, uh, White Women Teaching Black Boys, and which is, again, its title alone was really designed for that topic. Yep, um, sure. Uh, the cookbook was put together to help future consultants, you know, the, the future of the work. Yep. The people who are coming um, to, really take our jobs 25 years from now. Sure. There are so many things I wish I had known 25 years ago.
1: Yes. And that's
0: what this book really is Uh to help those who are going to get into the business today. Uh, We just completed the companion book to teaching beautiful, I mean, sorry, to white women's guide to teaching black boys called Teaching Beautiful, Brilliant Black Girls. Mm. So that'll be out um, next um, um um hopefully right now we're aiming for mlk day it could be black history month um uh, sometime early next year that book will be out um and lastly i'm excited to announce here uh uh, uh we got my brand new kids book hey uh called little e Uh, uh, Yeah, so this goes back to our conversation earlier. Sometimes black kids just need to read books about black boys who play baseball, who throw rocks in the windows and get in trouble, who really help out the neighbor, carry their groceries up the stairs. That's really what I'm trying to do with Lil' E, is to just give some positive messages Yes. to all kids but particularly uh kids of color and black boys specifically just because there's so few of them in uh kids books so that's uh something that i'm looking to have ready by um the holiday time so i'll yes. keep you posted
1: yes so please do
0: this will be one of the first uh books my nephew was able to kind of see a little resemblance uh-huh. of himself and um Uh, Yeah, yeah. So those are some of the books, man, I've been excited about. Uh, We also have a a referee journal um, in reference to publishing around the issue of white supremacy, white privilege, and other forms of oppression. Um, The the white privilege journal, which can be found on our website. So I'd like to point that out because it's another opportunity for young scholars, but not just people in higher ed, also high school kids, uh, folks who just write something about the reflections it's a chance for everyday people to get published as well so i like to point that out as well
1: fantastic man the the i actually i feel like i stumbled upon Lo e maybe in my research or somewhere some point in time but i said wait a minute what's going on here uh <laughs> and so i'm 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 amped for that man i had the the great fortune of publishing the children's book myself recently about my my little man who was 2b at the time yeah. and now he's here and so uh so it's 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 a it's a fantastic feeling man to get out there and really for me step into a whole different world i haven't worked with that young population uh in a long time man it's been quite a few years and so uh almost 10 at this point and so uh so it's it's nice to kind of be able to get back into that skin and and live that out Dr. Eddie Moore before i let you go how can people get in touch with you man podcast uh, hashtags uh social medias, books, anything, man. Shout it out.
0: Yeah, bro. Well, the good thing is everything's under my name, eddymorjr.com. Great. I mean, uh, 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 you hit that up on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, and I'm going to pop up. Same with my website, com. If you search that on the web, I'm who pops up. Uh, uh, My email uh, same thing. Eddie knows more at Yahoo. Uh, hit me up. I'm I'm definitely um, 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 accessible, and 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 really the one one thing you got to do is just plug my name in the search engine. And I'm going to pop up. And so uh, yeah, man, I I appreciate the opportunity to shout it out. And all of my you know publications and all that kind of stuff are in those platforms. If people want to find out more information,
1: perfect, perfect, perfect. The Honorable. Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., thank you so much for being with us, baby. Dr. Eddie Moore Jr., Sherrod Robbins. You're at the chopping block at visceralchange.org.